0: in audio land now it's in cyberspace somewhere we're always blessed that you would join us on Sunday mornings as we share God's word with you uh, as you may know we are in a new sermon series that series is entitled a kingdom upside down and our text of course is Matthew 5 through 7. Today's sermon is going to be on kingdom citizenship. As we begin to study Matthew 5 through 7, in this discourse we are going to learn how Jesus teaches us how to live as kingdom citizens. If you go to a foreign land that is very different from your culture, you're going to need to learn how to live in that culture to be acceptable in that culture, to be able to assimilate in that culture, to understand the governance of that culture. And in the same way, we need to understand that when we accepted Jesus Christ into our hearts, we were taken out of one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and brought into the kingdom of God's dear son. That is a kingdom with a very different culture and a different governance than the kingdom that we were in, the kingdom of darkness. We call it an upside-down kingdom because in this kingdom, as we learn in Matthew 5 through 7, the culture, the values, the character of this kingdom is so antithetical to what the kingdom of the world is like. And so we need to have our hearts open to understand what the kingdom of God is really all about. As we go through this series, you're going to hear me repeat over and over again that phrase, the kingdom of God. And will you excuse me for one moment? I seem to have a bit of a frog in my throat. What exactly does it mean when we say the kingdom of God? When we think of kingdoms, we think of political geographic locations, do we not? But the kingdom of God has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with geography because it is not physical in its nature, it is spiritual. And did not Jesus make a point of that when he spoke and he said to Pilate in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. Some of us are so taken up with our kingdom. And I believe it's wonderful that we should be patriotic citizens of America because we live in a land that is so blessed. We live in a free nation, Amen. at least at this time. I know there are forces of darkness that are trying to change a lot, but we are still free. We are blessed of all peoples on the face of this earth. Amen. And so it's good to be a patriotic American, but beyond being a patriot of this nation, we need to understand that our citizenship is in heaven and we belong to another kingdom. Some people are only consumed about being American. Being, what's going on in America? What's going on in the kingdom? because that kingdom is more real and is eternal as compared to what is going on in America. Because one day is coming when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and he shall reign forever and ever. So Jesus said to Pilate, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews but now my kingdom is not from here. When we read that word kingdom in the Bible, it comes from the Greek word basileia, which means sovereignty, royal power and dominion. It refers to a territory or a people over whom a king rules. And certainly as Christians, we now understand that we are living under the rulership of Jesus Christ. I know we're living under the rules and the laws of this land, but there are laws and rules that are higher than the rules and the laws of this land. And I know that there are some people that say, oh, we better obey the laws because the scripture says, obey those that are in authority over you. But I read in my Bible, in the New Testament church in the book of Acts, when they were commanded to do something that was contrary to what was in this word, what did they say? We belong to another kingdom, sorry guys, and we must obey God rather than man. So though they were forbidden to preach the word of God, they were just as bold and just as audacious as they could possibly be, when the rulership and the religious hierarchy whipped him and said, you better not open your mouth once again. They walked out of that synagogue and away from the Pharisees and they start preaching the gospel all over again because that's the law of the kingdom. That's the law that they needed to follow. So anytime that you and I speak about the kingdom of God, we are referring to the government of God over us as individuals, corporately, privately, and publicly. There is no facet of our lives that we could say, oh, this doesn't belong to the kingdom of God. No matter in whatever sphere you are in, I want you to know when you go to that workplace it may be as dark as dark can be but when you walk in that door you are walking in with a brighter light and a greater ruler. That is the kingdom of God. I believe that as Christians there is no subject that is more important for us to consider than the subject of the kingdom of God and I alluded to this last Sunday in my message because first of all Jesus said the only way to enter into the kingdom of God is by being born again and if we are born again we are brought into that kingdom I think we get so taken up with our born again experience And we're just so thrilled with the idea that Jesus, you've forgiven me all of my sin. You've cleansed me from my guilt. You've taken away my shame. You've written my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I know that when I die or if the rapture should take place, I'm going to go to be with you forever and forever. Now it's wonderful. To be aware of that glorious truth and of the glorious grace of God. But I fear that we have forgotten what it means now that we're saved living in another kingdom. How we're to live. How we're to please God. How we're to come under His governance. What the character of our life is to look like as opposed to those that are in the world. So as we enter into this new realm, into this new kingdom, we need to understand what it is all about. So these are some of the basics that we need to consider this morning. Firstly, the nature of the kingdom. When Jesus came on the scene, we said the first thing that came out of his mouth is the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, you know, when the Jews heard this, They were ecstatic, that was the best news that they had ever heard. I mean, they had been waiting for centuries for this Messiah to come to set up his kingdom to overthrow those awful Romans and once and for all to be rid of that which is evil and that which is dark so that God, the God of Israel can rule and reign in righteousness. But they didn't understand and even though Jesus came on the scene, they didn't see him purging Rome of its evil government, of its paganism. Instead, they heard Jesus teach about the kingdom of God. And so one day the Pharisees said, Jesus, when will the kingdom come? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation." nor will they say see here or see there for lo indeed the kingdom of god is within you we're living in a very dark world but i want us to know something today the kingdom of god is within us and wherever jesus was there was the kingdom wherever we are there is the kingdom Because Jesus was on the scene, there were healings, there were miracles, there was righteousness, there was purity, there was truth. In our lives as well, God wants his kingdom to be made manifest through us as Jesus, the King of glory, the hope of glory, lives his life in and through us. When Jesus comes into our hearts as a king... He comes to rule sovereignly over all the affairs of our life and in every moment of every day. I hope you don't think you could only experience the kingdom of God when you're sitting in a church service. Amen. Kingdom of God is within you. And that kingdom, Paul says in Romans, is righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. They're the marks of the kingdom. Maybe we'll get into that at a later time. But the second reason it's so important as we study and understand the kingdom is because as it was taught by Jesus and recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the core of the message of Jesus was exclusively on the kingdom of God. Somehow, I think along the way, we've missed that emphasis on Jesus While he walked the earth and what he taught, it was always about the kingdom of God. During the entirety of the three and a half years of his ministry, his message was consistent. We read in Matthew 4 and 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. His message was always the same, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus, we know, was crucified, he was buried, he rose again. And after he rose from the dead, he remained on the earth, the Bible tells us, for 40 days. What was the focus of what he had to say to those that he spoke to during those 40 days? We read about it in Acts 1 and 3. He also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. E. Stanley Jones, a great preacher from yesteryear, wrote a classic volume on the subject of the kingdom of God, and in it he makes this statement. If Jesus made the kingdom of God the center of his message the center of his ministry, the greatest need of man today, as I see it, is to rediscover the kingdom of God. How much attention, how much of our focus in our Christian life is on the kingdom of God? Yes, I think most of us feel like, well, it's really all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus, but it's about Jesus in the context of him being king, Jesus. Do you know what it means to be a king? It means you have the absolute rule. You are sovereign over all. No one has anything to say about what you have to say because your word is ruled. His word is non-negotiable. His word is not I can take it or leave it. His word is what I must live my life by if I am to live in his kingdom. See, we're taken up with the idea Jesus He's my savior. He's my friend. He's my healer. He's my baptizer. He's my soon coming king. He is all of those things. But why do we say soon coming king? Oh yeah, I know we want to get to heaven. But he wants us to know today that he is king over our lives right now, right at this moment, in the next moment, in the next 24 hours, throughout this week, in the next month, and as long as we have breath, we need to live under His Lordship, under His rule, and under His authority. Now I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail here, but I just want to briefly mention that I believe because the church has failed to really embrace, or we failed in neglecting, in putting the right emphasis, or I should say the emphasis that Jesus put on the kingdom of God, that there's been fruit to our neglect. And I just want to mention a few things that I believe are the fruit of that neglect. Number one is that we have lost the recognition of the fact that the definitive mark of the kingdom of God is living in obedience to the first commandment loving the lord our god with all of our heart our mind our soul and our strength and then loving our neighbor as ourselves instead we've chosen to quibble over doctrinal nuances We've chosen to hold on to our political agendas and allegiances, and we are clinging to our offenses. That's not the kingdom of God. Because when push comes to shove, we get offended and we walk out of the church. Someone said to me this morning, I haven't seen so-and-so. Have have they left the church? And I said, yeah, they've left the church. this person said sadly to me they didn't even say goodbye. I said they really didn't say, say goodbye to me either. They just told me they were upset and they were leaving. Is that the kingdom of God? Not in my Bible because when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength and we love our neighbor as ourselves, then we reflect the character of Jesus Christ and how we behave. We don't walk out of a church in a huff because you don't like something that the pastor preached. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize for what I see in this Bible. And if they have offense with what I say from this word, then they need to take that up with God. And certainly if they give me an opportunity, I would want to reason with them in helping them understand what the word of God says. And that's the whole reason why I preached what I preached last Sunday, that people get so myopic on their proof texts, and that's the only thing they want to look at and not understand what else the Bible has to say on the same subject. We need to compare Scripture with Scripture. Amen. And then arrive at the truth of what God's Word says, the whole counsel of God. Amen. Amen. It's not my point this morning, and I'm sorry to spend this much time on it, but I believe it is so critical that we get our focus on restoring the first commandment to the first place, because that's what the kingdom is all about. There's so many issues and problems and offenses that would just disappear if we would just love God with how we are commanded to love Him, and to love others as we are commanded to love them. I mean, the the New Testament is so full of instruction as to how our character needs to reflect the character of Jesus. Was he offended? He was offended with unrighteousness, but not with personal insult. Jesus was full of grace. When he was insulted, he opened not his mouth. But when it came to compromising truth, he boldly proclaimed that truth. I need to move on quickly here. Secondly, we failed also in limiting the expression of Christ's kingdom within society to just the four walls of our church. Mm. And that's sad because what makes us think that God is only concerned about the kingdom happening here? I mean, he came to save the world. He came, he said, you are a light in a dark world. You're to be, the world needs salt and we're gonna to get to this as we get into the Sermon on the Mount. But, but some of us are just content to, to feel cozy and blessed in the four walls of a church and say, oh, glory to God, I'm with God's people and we feel God's presence and we're enjoying God. But God says when we walk out of here, we're to bring the kingdom into a dark world. That's why we've been taught to pray, thy kingdom come. That's not that Jesus, please come back. Yeah, that's part of it. But in this wicked earth realm, let darkness be pushed back. And let light and truth be permeating this society in which we live. Let Christians be on school boards so that they have something to say about what our kids are taught. Let Christians be in political offices so they legislate in righteousness and in holiness. Let Christians be on courts so they legislate in righteousness and in holiness and not according to their political ideologies. But according to, if they're godly men and women, the truth of God's word and secondly is good citizens according to the Constitution. And bylaws of this land, not according to what they think the people want. And that's so much of the way in which our world is going. Thirdly, we've prayed your kingdom come, yet we've ignored the command of Christ for our own lives to seek first the kingdom of God.
1: I just want us all to meditate
0: on that for a moment. I'm I'm not going to spend time there, but just stop and think. Is the kingdom of God coming into my life in all of its fullness? Is the expression of God's kingdom, his rule, his authority, his sovereignty, his lordship, or do I have certain areas in my life where I say, God, this is, you know, you understand me. Doesn't the Bible say he remembers that we're dust and we're flesh and he forgives us and, you know, He's merciful and He's gracious and He's kind. And yet it's something that in our rebellion we are clinging to and feeling like we can hold on to when God says that needs to come under my authority. You need to nail that to the cross. Finally, we've also failed to fulfill the Great Commission. Because Jesus, before ascending to heaven, we recall, He commissioned His disciples. Not only the 12, uh, the 11 at the time apostles, but now for all believers. This is a message for all believers. And and what are, what are the words that we're so familiar with? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the popular paraphrase that we use. And we sadly think we're fulfilling the Great Commission because as Christians, we want to be good witnesses and we we want to tell people that Jesus died on the cross to save them from their sin. But saints of God, I ask you to please look again. Is that really what Jesus said? When we look at Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, we read these words. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Somehow, one translation has go preach the gospel, and that's the one that we've clung to. Because making disciples goes far beyond just telling someone, did you know that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin? What did Jesus say? Make disciples of all nations, of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now don't miss this next statement. Teaching them. That's how disciples are made. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. What did Jesus command us to do? He commanded us to make disciples. He didn't command us to make Christians. He didn't command us to make church people. He commanded us to make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. He is a student of Jesus Christ. And he is an imitator of Jesus Christ. Disciples learn the truth of who Jesus is and how he requires that his disciples live. And without the knowledge of that truth, what does Hosea six, six, uh, 4, say? My people perish for lack of knowledge. You know what the sad travesty and tragedy of the church has been? We share the gospel with people, and then they are never discipled. And because they're not discipled, because they've not been taught, what Jesus wanted them to be taught, concerning how they are to live their lives, what kind of character they're to develop. They continue in their carnal ways, and their worldly ways, and falling into sin, and how many of them never follow through in walking with Jesus, and they backslide and lose their salvation. It's a dangerous place to be not to know why they need to know. It's so important that we be taught the knowledge of God's Word because it's only through the knowledge of God's Word that our corrupted, carnal nature gets renewed. We have a belief system that is contrary to God, a belief system that says, it's okay to hate that person if they hate me. It's okay to be vengeful toward that person uh, they deserve it. After all, doesn't the Bible say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? And, you know, we, we rationalize all of our carnal, nat- natural I- inclinations that make us feel like we're, we're allowed to do these things. After all, we're human. The kingdom of God is a supernatural governance that is now to rule our lives And Paul speaks about it. We no longer walk after the law of the flesh. Now we walk after the law of the spirit. See, when we get saved, even though we we get a new spirit, God comes into our spirit, our soul, how we think, how we feel, what we want, that needs to be sanctified. That needs to be progressively set apart and changed more and more for god for more of his holiness for more of his purity and for more of his truth the psalmist david certainly understood this when he said the law of the lord is perfect converting notice we said the soul the soul our minds our wills our emotions that needs conversion on a daily basis and on a daily basis we're getting more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Yeah, our spirit is intact because God's spirit came while we were dead. He raised us up, made us alive in Christ, and now we have the spirit of God witnessing with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. No one has to tell you, Sally, you're a daughter of God. You don't have to shave them. They know it deep within their spirit that they belong to God. God's spirit witnesses with their spirit that he's done a work in their lives. If you don't have that witness of God's spirit, then I I just encourage you today, just repent of your sin, turn from your sin, ask Jesus Christ to come in. He will come in and save your soul and make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. So how, how, do we, do we get this new character that God wants to build in us once we, we are translated from that kingdom into this kingdom? Well, it's laid out before us very clearly in Matthew 5 through 7. But this, as we call it, the Sermon on the Mount is so much more than just a sermon. It's a Jesus manifesto. I know when you hear that word manifesto, some of us think of the communists manifesto and we think of the socialist manifesto and the Marxist manifesto that is trying very subtly to insinuate itself into the fabric of America and we need to be wary of it. It's the same evil doctrine. It's the doctrine that Marx tried to propose by saying, this old thing is not the right way. It's not going to prosper us and help us. This this, this new philosophy is what it's going to take to make Russia successful and blessed. And, and now we get that same ideology that is creeping into America. And I'm only saying this, I'm not saying it because I want to be political this morning. We need to understand this because we can't understand the manifesto of the kingdom unless we understand the context of what a manifesto is. In the same way, when Jesus came on the scene, the Jewish people hated Rome. They hated the Roman governance. They hated everything about it. And so they wanted Jesus to overthrow it, bring his kingdom in so that they could live under that kingdom in peace and in happiness and just, yeah. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. And they weren't happy about that. But Jesus said, I know that Rome doesn't have it right. But cheer up, guys, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Now that I'm on the scene, I'm bringing in a whole new realm. I'm bringing, you could be living in a dark world, but in the midst of that dark world, Your life is hid with Christ and God in another kingdom. You know, as bad as things can get in our world, I hope we all know, as dark as things can get, our life is hid with Christ and God. We're citizens of another kingdom. We're just pilgrims that are passing through. We need not get despondent. We need not become despairing because we belong to another kingdom. And God has us in his hands yeah, so as we approach the Jesus manifesto I want us to approach it with this understanding that Jesus came with a very revolutionary concept and ideology it's foreign to the nature of the human heart totally foreign to the nature of the human heart but he says if you really want to be my disciples this is the kind of kingdom I'm calling you to. It's been said that the Torah is to the Jewish people what the Sermon on the Mount is to the Christian. And I think we all know that the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that that is the foundation for the Jewish faith. And those that are devout Jews, I mean they give their lives to studying the Torah. (coughs) For many men, that's a full-time profession. They're in the synagogue, they're in their schools, whatever they're called, forgive me, I can't remember their name, but they're they're hunched over the word of God, just studying it, reading it day and night, day and night, day and night, because they revere it. They understand that this is the rule that God has called them to live by. They study it diligently. They try to apply it to their lives as best as they, as they can. But tragically, we as Christians, Oh, Matthew 5 through 7, yeah, that's the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we get those beautiful, pious platitudes. Oh, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, that's where we get the Lord's Prayer. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? And we just repetitiously rattle it off, not even understanding what it's saying. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Pious platitudes. Jesus is telling us, This is a revolution that is to take place in your heart and in your life, radically transforming all that we are, all that we have, and how we live. The famous World War II general Omar Bradley made this sad observation. We've grasped the mystery of the atom, but we've rejected the Sermon on the Mount. I have to confess, I feel like I've rejected I've, in some ways, rejected the Sermon. How many, how many sermons have you heard me preach, the Sermon on the Mount? I know maybe 10 years ago I started preaching on the Beatitudes, but I don't think since then I've really looked at them very carefully. Well, i shared that very lengthy introduction. Now I want to get to our text. and you just fell off your pew, right? Pastor, I thought you were going to pronounce the benediction. Just give me five more minutes because I'm I'm just going to preach a sermon. Not to Christianettes because you're kingdom kingdom people who love God's word and want to hear God's word. And I'm going to do something very unorthodox this morning because I'm not going to begin this series on the Sermon on the Mount by turning to Matthew 5 and verse 1. But I'm going to take you to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, reading verses 24 through 27, where Jesus said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. In this closing challenge, Jesus points us to something that is very crucial to any building that is ever built. And the metaphor that is used of building a home, of course, is relating to building our lives. And what is that crucial thing that is so important to any building? Of course, it's the foundation. And if the correct foundation is not laid Then there is a very strong possibility that when the storms come, that that house will not stand. And I think we could safely say those of us been alive for more than our first or second or third year of life understand that storms come. In fact, they even come in little kids' life. things don't go their way, they take a little temper tantrum. Why can't I have that toy? You can't have it because it's dangerous. I still want it. You know, we've got to have our way. So for a little child, I guess that's a little storm that comes into their life. But Jesus talks about these storms that come into our life. I found it very interesting that he clarifies what these storms entail, because I guess not all storms are created equal. And he mentions the threats that come with these storms that beat upon the house. There's rain, there are floods, and then there are fierce winds. First of all, there's the rain. How many of us like rainy days? I know there are some melancholies who are just designed that way, and they just love rainy days because they find beauty in it, but I think most of us will agree, even though I'm actually melancholy by nature, and uh, I just love to see the sunshine. And to those of us who are waiting for spring, has it been glorious to see the sun still shining at five in the afternoon? You know, we don't care for the dreariness of rainy days. We prefer to see the sunshine, but the rain comes. Jesus said, the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. And so you go out to your car one morning and there you have a flag tire. Somebody's raining on your parade, right? You walk into the workplace and your boss is in a bad mood and he takes it out on you. I'm a righteous person. Why is the boss treating me that way? You open up your wallet and you find, what happened to my credit card? You don't want to lose your credit card with all the, the theft that there is today. You get in the shower and it's warm for about three minutes and then it turns cold and you find out your water heater is gone. You know, the rain comes. The rain falls on us. But then there are other storms that come into our life that make those things look like duck soup. They're the floods. The floods that seek to overwhelm us and undo us. One day you're walking in good health, and you go see your doctor for a cold, and he tells you there's something else that is seriously wrong. Thought you were slated for promotion. Instead of getting that promotion, you get a green slip that tells you you're being laid off. There are times in our lives when the floodwaters seek to drown us. We've all had those experiences, haven't we? Every one of us. But then there's this third thing that happens fierce winds of adversity. If you watch the Weather Channel, or if you watch weather reports and you Listen to what happens when certain tornadoes take place. The power of the wind. I read that there was one on record that traveled at 318 miles per hour. Can you imagine? You can't see it, but that wind is taking buildings and turning them upside down, causing cars to fly through the air. But the spiritual metaphor is when these fierce winds come into our lives, that seek to completely destroy even our faith. Is our life founded on the Word of God? Those fierce winds came into Job's life. They were so severe that anything that Job had or hoped for was gone in a day. And his wife saw no other way out but to say, Job, curse God, and die. Sometimes there's so much darkness, there's so much despair, that we wonder how we're even going to take our next breath. So we will confess and and, and agree to the reality of life that there's the rain that comes, there are the floods that come, but then there are the fierce winds that seek to challenge our faith. Hmm. Those same storms came to both houses that were built. The structure looked very, very similar, but the foundation was so very different. One of the homes stood firm. The other crashed and fell into smithereens. What was the difference? It was the foundation. The house that stood and the house that will stand is not the one that is built on religion, It's not the one that was built on a legalistic understanding, well, I need to do all these things to make God pleasing. It's the one that is built not on emotion, but it's one that is built not even on what we believe, but on what we do with what we believe. What are we doing with what Jesus teaches us? It's just the basic principle in life, isn't it? You can know all about nutrition. You can follow all the nutritionists, and you can even believe in, it's important to get exercise. But if you don't do it, what good is it? If you don't eat right, if you don't sweat a little, all of that knowledge is vain. And sadly, The church of Jesus Christ today is so full of knowledge. We understand what it means to be a Christian, what God requires of us, and we are going to be challenged, Christian friends, as we get into Matthew 5 through 7. We are going to be seriously challenged because what Jesus is going to teach us is revolutionary. It's going to make some people hate us. It's going to alienate us from some people. It's going to make us hate ourselves. Because I don't like living like this. I don't like going to the cross. Life in the kingdom is living under the shadow of the cross. Because it's only in dying that we can live. What's the crux of the matter? It's just simple obedience. Are we going to do it our way, or are we going to do it God's way? And it's only in the doing of the Word of God that we are laying a solid foundation in our lives. We could say, "Ah, look, I went to church today. I listened to what the pastor had to say. The the, the real proof of the pudding is after we leave, what are we putting into practice? What are we applying to our lives? How are we fleshing out the truth of God's word? Jesus said if we fail to do that, when the storms come, our house will fall. And great will be that fall. I don't know if any of you follow religious news. But some of the most heartbreaking, tragic news of late has been what has happened with a very famous, popular, charismatic movement, leadership, one in Australia who had to step down because of not applying the word of God. Surely he knew the word of God, but he didn't apply it. And because of that, he had to step down. And then one right here in New York City also had to step down because again of some immorality where God's word is so clear about how we are to live our lives and especially those of us who stand behind the pulpit and teach it we're going to be held more responsible right. because we're teaching the word that's right how tragic not to live it that's what Paul feared the most and while he preached to others he himself will become a castaway. Is there a wholehearted yes in our heart to Jesus? Thou and pray this morning, he that thinketh he standeth, let him take heed lest he fall. It's when we get on our high horse and we think we're a little more spiritual and we're a little better than so and so and so and so, and so because after all, we read four chapters a day, not three, and we spend a half an hour in prayer instead of five minutes And we come to church every time the doors are open. Is that applying the principles of God's word that are conforming our inner man into the image of Christ? That's what God is after. I close with this quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes who said, most people are willing to take the Sermon on the Mount as a flag to sail under, but few will use it as a rudder by which to steer their lives. Christian friends, this is not going to be just another sermon series. This is a manifesto that Jesus presented to his disciples. It is revolutionary. Do we want to truly live in the kingdom? He's going to teach us how to be citizens of the kingdom so that we can bring honor Glory to his name. We're going to close the service this morning by singing a song of consecration, I Surrender. You can sing the song with the music as we project it on the wall or within your heart of hearts, you can just spend the closing moments of the service in prayer. The altar is open for those who wish to come. We'd like to invite you to stand with us as we sing this song, make the prayer of our heart, that I surrender. Let's all stand together.